Thank you, Pastor Brenda. Let me add my welcome to hers. Good morning, church. It's great to be with you all, whether you're here in person or online. Um, I'm excited about today because we start this new series entitled Freedom, and we're going to be walking through the book of Galatians for the next several months, unpacking this important letter that Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. Now, he is writing because there's problems with them experiencing that freedom. He's writing about A.D. 50, about 20-plus years after the time of Christ, and this church is struggling with the challenge between their Jewish Christians and their Gentile Christians. There's social and racial divisions there. They're not experiencing their freedom. See, the Jewish Christians grew up having to observe the Torah, right, the law of Moses, and that's part of their faith identity. They were raised to do this, and so they want the Gentile Christians to practice the same things they have done in order to be fully accepted by God. Now, Paul steps into this tension, into this reality, and he paints a picture that says anything that is added to Jesus is not actually the gospel at all. See, he, he has this, I saw this on my Facebook feed this week, and you have Jesus' character there with the pencil erasing lines because the Jewish Christians are putting lines in there. They're putting barriers between the Gentile Christians and God, saying, you need to do this, this, and this to be fully accepted by God. And Paul is saying, that is not the way of Jesus. He is erasing lines. He is saying, come to me. And he is at the center of it. So Paul is reacting to this line drawing about who is in and who is out. What hurdles need to be accomplished to get to Christ? He's erasing those lines and affirming that it's through the work of Jesus Christ alone that we have access to God. Through him, we're accepted by God. The law is not the center, but it's a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. So that's the problem he's, he's speaking into. And today, and we'll see this in further weeks, we'll see two key things he's talking about. One, his apostleship. What makes Paul an apostle? And also, what is the gospel? Why is that important? Why is he protecting it and guarding it? On what basis does Paul say what he does? And what is the basis of the gospel? If we can keep this in mind, this letter will make a little more sense to us as we journey through it. See, Paul talks about building, not with bricks and mortar, but with people. And the very foundation of that building is our faith in Jesus. And through him, we're accepted by God, Christ alone. Paul says, if you add any additional requirement to Christ alone, you are actually promoting a different gospel entirely, and you lose Christ. Okay. So what is freedom? What is freedom? This is a whole book on freedom. What do we think? Maybe from your context, where you grew up. I was talking to people this week, and they talked about wanting freedom from fears, or they wanted peace, or there's an ability to do what you want. They want to be free from control. The dictionary definition gives us kind of two options, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants, or the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Now, I grew up in a country that was big on freedom, big on individual rights. 
and we guard them and we protect them and we fight for them. And Maya, this last week, um, she's driving a car now, my, my teenage daughter, so you can be praying for her that she's safe and for those drivers around her. But she was visiting a church, and she sent us this photo. She didn't know I was speaking about freedom. And this was the truck that was parked in front of her in the church parking lot. And it says this, Wake up, America. The left is destroying our freedoms and destroying America. Make your voices heard. Right? This is a strong message of freedom. You know, it's a little bit ironic that you know, this is in a church parking lot. But what does freedom mean for us? Do we think about, you know, in America, maybe the right to bear arms, right? that freedom? Do we think about financial freedom or political freedoms, or freedom of speech? Those are all things that are worth thinking about. But what is freedom for a Christian? What does it mean for who we are? Is freedom possible apart from God? That's a bit of what we'll look into. One way I want us to think about freedom is that it is both a gift and a skill. It's something we accept, and it's something that we can grow in. Paul writes this letter to Galatians to encourage them to grow in freedom, and I hope that we might as well. Paul talks about freedom in the New Testament more than anybody else. He talks about it 28 times. The rest of the New Testament only brings up the word eight. And Galatians is the book that he talks about it the most. Ten times he uses freedom. And for Paul, freedom is the ability to live in a way that is pleasing to God, to, to be free from bondage of sin and the law, and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So let's pray as we dig into this text. God, I thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to the Galatian believers 2,000 years ago. And I pray that you might help us understand it for today, how we can learn from who you are, Jesus, as we grow closer to you. In your name, amen. So today we are just unpacking the introduction to the letter itself. And this is what Paul says. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Simple five verses. So let's begin to unpack them. First, we're confronted with two words, two themes here. One, apostleship. Why is Paul an apostle? Who called him? And God's rescue, or the gospel. Now, this is not a standard greeting for Paul. It's standard to have a greeting in front of the letter, but usually Paul is affirming of the church he's writing, or he's thankful for them. The fact that he doesn't say anything like that should tell us Paul's a little bit upset with the church in Galatia. And the very next verse, we're not going to dig into this. This will be Pastor Brenda's next week. We'll say this. I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. That's the stakes that are at risk here for Paul. The very gospel is at stake of being lost. 
So he is concerned. He's not super thankful for them at the moment. And so these first five verses are important for us to unpack how Paul begins his letter. First, where does Paul's authority come from? Where does Paul's authority come from? He's sent not by men, but by Jesus himself. His authority comes from God. The church in Galatia is questioning his authority, questioning his ability to speak into them. And he wants them to know it's not himself and his great abilities. It's actually that God has sent them, sent him to them. The second thing there is not only is Paul sent by God, Jesus is raised from the dead by God, and we are rescued by God. God is the subject of these verses, and we are the object. It is all about God's work. Paul wants them to get this very foundational thing straight. It's God's work, not theirs, that is the primary importance. So he begins, even in these simple five verses, of lifting this up. See, the source of our freedom, the source of Paul's authority, is Jesus Christ and God the Father. He wants them to know this from the very beginning. It's not their observation of the laws that allows them to be accepted by God. That is not the basis of their freedom, but Jesus Christ himself. So let's step back a little bit from this passage and just look at Scripture as a whole. The very beginning of Scripture in Genesis, God created and it was good. God brought life. There was the tree of life in the garden. And life is more than just biological existence. There's meaning. There's purpose. There's our spirit, our soul, this idea of life. And death is more than just the extinction of our biological life. So we have this life at the beginning of Scripture. We don't have to take very long to see that Adam and Eve choose against life, right? They choose for themselves, and death enters the scene. And the Bible paints this wonderful picture about the best way to be human. It's the story of original creation, how we were created good. It's the story of old creation when sin enters the picture, when selfishness enters the picture. And then the story of new creation, heaven breaking in on earth, the way that God is redeeming and reconciling the world. New creation is a way to live out of forgiveness, of love, of compassion, mercy, grace, and peace. But we still experience old creation. We still experience this pull of pride and fear, of selfishness, injustice, oppression. So we live in this tension of new creation and old creation overlapping. God stands at the center of our freedom, the center of our story, and he has done something for us to help us experience freedom. Now, no one is born free. We've got, uh, is Yaren still here? He was in the back. He is not. All right, I was hearing him, and that was wonderful to hear the sounds of babies in our midst. Babies are not born free. They need nurture and care and attention. If we're lucky, if babies are lucky, they're surrounded by this wonderful love and attachment so they can begin to feel secure in their world, but they don't get that way on their own. In fact, they actually need the care of those around them to help them grow and develop and mature. 
There's a developmental aspect to our freedom. As we grow older, we get more freedoms, perhaps from our parents. We begin to explore more. We remember when we moved here, um, my son was nine and my daughter was three. And I think by about the time Cody was 10, he would come to Spectrum here on Friday nights. And we would allow him to come home by himself, like, I don't know, 8 or 9 p.m. And he would take the, you know, the MTR or bus and get home. And that was a big freedom for him, a freedom that, you know, we would tell people in the U.S. that, yeah, our son, 10 years old, he travels the city on his own. And like, why is he safe, right? And we're like, yeah, you know, and he knows how to take these public transportations. He has this incredible freedom to navigate, to get around. But we need others to help us to grow in that freedom, to help us to take steps. And maybe it's a parent, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, a pastor, a counselor. They help us to grow. See, freedom isn't sort of withdrawing from the world and, you know, sort of living in a bubble of an idyllic world with perfect circumstances, and now we can be free Freedom can only be lived out in the realities of challenge and struggle and community. I remember the first book that I really loved reading. I was probably about 10 years old, and it was called My Side of the Mountain. And this boy, you know, lives all summer in the mountain, and he's, like, picking blackberries and making pancakes and living in this little cave. And I thought, oh, that's how I want to live, like this freedom, right, all on my own to do whatever I want. And that is not what Paul is saying freedom is. It's not sort of an escape from reality, but freedom can only be truly experienced in the midst of real life. And maybe some of us never experience that developmental freedom. Maybe we're always dependent on something else or, or someone else. Maybe a chemical dependency, maybe a dependence upon success or approval. Maybe we have anxiety over losing what we've already gained and we never experience a freedom that God intends. Now, I'm encouraged that Paul had to write this letter on freedom because it shows that even then there was struggling with how do I live free? So if you're struggling with how do I live free today, you are in good company with the church in Galatia and probably most of humanity So let's dig in verse by verse. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, was sent, not from men or man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Paul, the word in Greek for Paul can also be translated small or little. Paul isn't really starting here with this, you know, sort of powerful sort of image of who he is. We get our, our... sort of a a description in a book called The Acts of Paul and Thecla, a description of Paul. And it says this about Paul. He was a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs. And it goes on to describe him in unflattering terms. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't come to them and say, you know, I've received the best education. I know the law much better than you. Like, I was more passionate about this Then you are, he starts and says, it wasn't man who sent me to you. It was God himself. And that's the important part, that Jesus is at the heart of Paul's identity. Paul goes on in in 2 Corinthians, and instead of lifting up his strength, he, he lifts up his weakness and affliction. 
and persecutions. And he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul identifies with the theology of the cross, of that cruciformity we were talking about the last few months. Not a theology of glory or victory, but one that lowers himself so God may lift us up. So Jesus Christ is first for him. Now, so this, this is interesting um, in this verse here. Paul says, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, he puts Jesus in front of God there. We usually find it the other way. See, Paul is helping them to understand the nature of who Jesus was. This took some time for the early church to figure out that God was fully man, that Jesus was fully man and fully God. He's putting an equality here that you can refer to one or the other and both be talking about God. And that's important for them to understand that, that Jesus actually has the ability to move them forward in their theology, to change their understanding of the Torah and the law. He has the authority to do that. Let's look at verse 2. He goes on, and all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia. So this third phrase reflects Paul's freedom that all the brothers and sisters are with him. He is not a lone ranger. He's not living a solitary life. He's not trying to experience freedom apart from all the problems of the churches that he's planted. He actually wants to know that they can experience freedom in the midst of conflict. Freedom for him isn't just doing anything he wants, but it means to be embedded in community. This is where freedom is to be lived out. Community doesn't compromise Paul's ability to be free. It's an aspect of his freedom that can support it and can encourage it. See, according to Paul, Jesus' death and resurrection is a way that God is building this family. It's based on who Jesus did and what he did for us and that's a family without divisions, right? No separate races, no one table for the Jews and another for the Gentiles. No having to jump through hoops in order to be accepted by God. But this is God's family, and Jesus is the foundation. When we moved here, we were moving from one community in the U.S. to a community here, moving away from family and a church family to a new church family. And we wanted this to be a church family for us, and for our kids, because we knew we needed it. And it became that. And I want community to be family for everybody that's here, and your children for those who have children. So Cody and Maya have these wonderful uncles and aunts who have spoken into their lives from community, and that's how we do things, and friendships, and mentors, and peers. We're meant to be experiencing freedom in the midst of not apart from community itself. So there's one family. Paul wants them to understand that. One family. Verse 3, he goes on. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace could be considered a summary of the gospel. Grace, this gift, unmerited favor, this gift God gives us, this gift that is transformative, and peace. In Hebrew, be shalom, this wholeness, this flourishing, this living connected to everybody else. Grace and peace. From who? From God our Father. 
this grace and peace, um, you can see this connected to the blessing we often give at Community Church from Numbers, that blessing that says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Grace and peace is a wonderful encouragement that we can receive as well. Moving on to verse 4. So Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. So Jesus gave himself for our sins, on behalf of our sins. There's several ways that that phrase can be interpreted concerning our sins. For our sins, Jesus did this in order to rescue us, to rescue us. This was the plan from this evil age. Now, this evil age, um, what is that exactly? We're going to unpack that. There's this rescue from old creation to new creation. The purpose of our freedom is this rescue. Old creation, self-centeredness, power, might, my way, exploitation to new creation. How the world was intended to be from the beginning and will be eventually heaven on earth. Looking out for others, loving others, serving others, coming alongside, encouraging, forgiving, being generous, this, this new creation. If we don't have a rescue from the old to the new, there is no freedom that we can experience. There's these two ages from this image. There's this age of Christ, this age of new creation, and there's this present evil age or old creation, and there's a tension there, but God invites us to be bearers of and walkers in that new creation. So this rescue is not removal from, this rescue is not take me out of this world. The focus of the word is on the rescue itself, the act of rescue, not from the world, but from old creation, from sin, from things that block God's purposes. This is the rescue that God wants us to experience so there's a wonderful, many stories of rescue in the Old Testament. So Joseph, right, had promises that he'd received in a vision, and then life kind of goes sideways. He gets thrown into a pit. He gets sold. He gets imprisoned unfairly. But Scripture says God rescued him. Not only that, God was present with him in the pit, in the prison, and God rescued him and showed him favor with Pharaoh, and the story of Joseph is a wonderful story of redemption. We see this with Peter in prison. King Herod had killed James, threw Peter in prison. In a sense, Peter is no longer free, but guess what Peter does in prison? He lives as free. He's singing songs. Herod hasn't taken away his freedom. Now, Jesus further rescues him out of prison, opens up the prison doors, and he is able to be delivered from that. But he was still living free even before the release. See, death is one of the rulers in old creation, and Scripture says we are made alive in Christ to live in that overlap. We were dead in our sins but made alive in Christ. 
See, this is a story much bigger than God forgiving moral transgressions. This is much bigger than being a Christian, being in some sort of sin management program where the goal is to sin less. The goal is transformation, to be made from death to life, from old creation to new creation. We're living for self, living for God. It's a whole new way of being, not just should I sin less. I can remember as a young person uh, that this gospel of sin management was what I thought about God, and God was looking down on me, could see me, anything and everything I did during my day, and was disappointed and upset, and would turn away anytime I would mess up, and God would really truly only love me if I was living perfectly. That was really a gospel of sin management, not a gospel of transformation, not a gospel of death to life. In order to understand freedom, I actually had to change my view of who God was. I had to dig deeper to see his love and mercy and grace. And then to experience that transformation, to be transformed inside and out. So the basis for our freedom is God's will. God's will is what he wants us to experience. Freedom into new creation is what he has for us. So his will is the basis for our freedom. Let's go on to the final verse, verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this is the response to our freedom, to give glory to God. To give glory to God. What does that mean? It's to contemplate, to reflect on, to think about who God is, what he has done. And then it's to worship him to be thankful for who he is, to praise. We do that on a Sunday, but we can do that in our lives all the time. So just a quick summary here. The source of our freedom is Jesus Christ. The source of Paul's authority is Jesus Christ. The purpose is this rescue from old creation to new creation. The basis for our freedom is God's will itself. It's what he desires for us through his grace, and our response is giving glory to God. So just quickly, some practical ways that we can live in this freedom as we begin this book. Um, this one's not on here, but, um, you know, read through Galatians, you know, several times as we go through this series because it's, a, it's an incredible way for us to, one, to understand freedom, but it's connected here in terms of living for God, glorifying him, worshiping him thanking him, connecting with him. That's how we begin to experience that freedom. Two, live as rescued into new creation. We sang you were made alive in Christ, Christ in me, right? Not this sort of disciplinary and God looking down on you, looking for you to mess up, but you actually get to experience life in Christ. Christ in you is transformative. So live in that freedom. Forgive. Maybe there's somebody you're wrestling to forgive. Maybe this is a week to take a step forward in that. Maybe there's an opportunity for generosity this week for somebody in your life. Where in your week this week can you live instead of old creation into new creation? And finally, bring freedom to others. 
as we looked at that image, where can you erase lines? Where have lines been put between people and God? Where can you erase those for others? Maybe it's to include instead of exclude. Maybe it's serving through outreach like we were watching in those care bags. Maybe it's working with those who are struggling with sexual exploitation. Maybe it's working with children at risk. Maybe it's working in our prison ministries. But where can you bring freedom to others? Because our freedom is not just for us, but it's freedom for this world, freedom for all of God's creation, and we can be bearers of that freedom. Let's pray, church. God, I thank you for who you are and what you have done, that the basis of our freedom, Jesus, is you yourself, what you have done for us, and we thank you for that. We sing about that. We celebrate that. We come to the table because of what you have done for us. May we be in awe of that today and this week. In your name, Jesus, amen.